Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. We were there last Sunday. We're going to look at another story from Luke chapter 11. A message titled, Living in the Light. Where would we be without light? And think about that. Where would we be? Our houses have electricity. We have even handy little switches that just, we hit a switch and the light comes on normally. Uh, we have batteries in our flashlights, or if you're in England, they're called torches. And, uh, and so that, uh, so we can carry that light around with us to illuminate our path. Our street lights have a photo eye so that they automatically come on when the sun sets. It wasn't always that way. Years ago, most of you have heard Robert, uh, heard of Robert Louis Stevenson. Anybody not hear of Robert Louis Stevenson? Robert, well, if I tell you what book he wrote, then you would say, oh, that's who that is. Treasure Island. Okay, oh, see, see, oh, that's who that is, yes. And, and so he lived and died much too young. He died in his 40s in the last half of the 1800s. Okay, so he died in 1890-something, I think. Um, perhaps the most famous uh, uh, book is Treasure Island. He wrote many other books and poems. Um, this is one of his experiences growing up in Scotland. And I, in those days, street lights, um, or street lamps, more correctly, didn't come on automatically. They hired people to go and take a ladder and climb up there and light them, light the torch. And so uh, this was going on. And, and so him and his mom and dad were walking down the street. And, that you know, as the sun was setting, little Robert was, was looking at all the, the street lighters. And there's, he was watching this one guy as he was lighting in the streets and the light would come on and the light would come on. And he was watching, he was watching this. And, and one after another, they came on and he turned to his parents. This is beautiful. He turned to his parents. Look, look, at, they're punching holes in the darkness. Isn't that beautiful? They're punching holes in the darkness, the street lighters. We need to punch holes in the darkness, don't we? Let's read our text. This is from Luke chapter 11, starting at verse 33. No one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand that those who come in may see the light. The lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body also is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, the whole body will be full of light, as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. Well, I'm going to talk about four things in the beginning, before the story, beholding light and embracing light. And so in the beginning, let's go to Genesis chapter 1. This is where light was invented. Light was invented. And you might wonder, you might remember that John said that God is light. 
and in him is no darkness at all. And so you can see why then in Genesis chapter 1 that light is one of the very first things that is created. And so I want to read this from Genesis chapter 1, starting at verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That The word God there is Elohim, and that is plural. And so that is, to me, to, it says to me, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The three in one. Okay, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And so God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And so the evening and the morning were the first day. It, it, I think it's really interesting that I, as I read that, I can see clearly the Trinity, God, Father God, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, all working together in creation. It, it's God that said, it's God that spoke. Okay, now in John chapter 1, we have in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, and so God's Word, as God spoke, that's, that's God's Word. That's the second person of the Trinity, the Logos, which is Jesus. And so God spoke and said, let there be light. We see in there also that the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the water. And so the three members of the Trinity are involved, and the first creation was light. It's first created. And the dividing of light from darkness suggests to me that the quality of light operates, uh, uh, this, this light operates both in the physical and spiritual realms. Light. It operates both in the physical and spiritual realms. And certainly... Light physically, we need light to see. We need light for life. Spiritually, we need light for life, don't we? Because if we have darkness in us, that's no good. And so God divide, divides the light from the dark. That's one of the first things he does. Th that there's a right and there's a wrong. There's a light and there's a dark. Right? Right? There's good and there's bad. God divides the right from the wrong, the light from the darkness. The Bible has, uh, uses light a lot. Uh, these are some of the verses. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. That's Psalm 119, uh, verse 105. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though sin in darkness, Though I sin in darkness, the Lord will be my light. That's Micah 7, 8. That'd be a good one for your wall, wouldn't it be? Micah 7, 8. The Lord will be my light. It's not that we're never going to fall. We're weak. And sometimes we're overcome with darkness. But the Lord will be my light. I love it. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 127, 
or 27 verse 1. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not overcome it. That's John 1, 5. Have you ever seen darkness overcome light? It doesn't. Whenever light is present, darkness goes away. Darkness hides. Light takes darkness away. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Whoever follows me will never, but will have the light of life. That's John 8, 12. Again, light is good and dark is bad in Scripture, spiritually speaking. Now, even though light is a common part of our everyday ex existence, there are no words to really describe it. Life as we know it requires light. We, we, we can't have life without light. This is from um, thinkersbiblestudies.com. This is what light does both physically and spiritually. Light dispels the darkness, which we've already said. Darkness never overcomes light. It's light that overcomes the darkness. Light itself cannot be seen, but reveals everything in its presence. I like that. Uh, light cannot be grasped or held. You can't hold it. Light fills all space available to it, but will not invade, it will not invade space that is closed to it. You know, I worked in a dark room when I was younger. And, and so as dark, once you're in the dark for a while, you're in there, you can see the little cracks in the door where the light kind of wiggles in. It just gets in there. And all of it, it's so dark. Your eyes adjust and your eyes be, are trying to, uh, trying to adjust and, and see. And, 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 and so your, your pupils are getting, you know, really big in the dark there. And, and, and there, there it is. All of a sudden you can see that little sliver of light trying to creep into the door in the dark room. It's really amazing. So light um, will fill all the space that's available to it but it won't invade the space that's closed to it. Right. Uh, light can be everywhere at once. Light is never consumed or exhausted by anything in its presence. Light is illumination, enabling us to find our way. Light is communication by written words and symbols to our mind. Light is color, revealing incredible beauty around us. Light is warmth, giving comfort. Light is energy, producing power. Light is speed from here to there in an instant. Light is essential for growth and healing. Light fades the further we move away from the source. Light diminishes the farther away we get. Um, here's a question. Why is space black? If you look up into the sky at night, the sun's on the other side of the planet, why... Why is space black? Because there's nothing to reflect the light. It's empty. There's nothing to reflect the light. Light needs something to reflect off of. So before the story, 
So again, it's important to check before and after to see the context of the story. Why did Jesus tell them such a simplistic story about lighting a lamp? It's really simple, isn't it? It seems so basic. Well, I want to just take us back a few verses, starting at 29. Verse 29. And while the crowds were thickly gathered together, he began to say, This is an evil generation. It seeks a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. In Luke's gospel, it, we might be tempted to take Jesus as, as, wow, Jesus, that's a little harsh just to, you know, you're seeing the crowds coming to hear a word from the Lord, and you say, you guys are evil. It's like, like this is an evil generation. You want to, you're seeking a sign. And, and, and so that's, that's, I mean, that's a great way to start a sermon, isn't it? This is an evil generation. What we're missing is the question that was asked as recorded in the parallel passage, okay, as witnesses work, okay? This is from Luke's perspective, who he talked to and recorded. Matthew was there, and he records the actual question first, and then Jesus starts his message, right? And in Matthew's gospel, then this is what it says, verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And that's, this is how Jesus replied then as we see in Luke. If you look farther back, we see that Jesus has just healed a demon-possessed boy. And their response to this sign, you can't tell me that's not a sign. A, a, a demon-possessed boy, and he is uncontrollable. He is probably foaming at the mouth and all those things, maybe throwing up. And, and Jesus heals him right in front of them. He's, he he heals this demon-possessed boy. That's a sign. And yet they have the nerve to say, that people were asking, oh, Jesus must be the Messiah, because look at what he did. Who can do that? And the Pharisees and scribes said, he's not casting demons out except by the power of Satan. That's what Jesus is doing. And so there was a sign right in front of them, and they rejected the sign. They absolutely rejected the sign. They did not want to believe that Jesus was the, son, was the Son of God, the Messiah. And so Jesus answers that there would be a sign. He didn't say you've already seen the sign because they, they totally rejected that, but there would be another sign. As Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, I think the wording is interesting. As Jonah became a sign. 
as Jonah became a sign. Not what Jonah said. Repent. Not what Jonah said, but Jonah himself became the sign. Jonah became the sign. And so I think that wording, it means that maybe if you look back in Jonah, the only script we have as to what Jonah said to them was yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. 40 days and you're in trouble. 40 days and a military might that's greater than you. This is what he was saying. But in Scripture, it only records these few words. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And at that, they all repented. The whole city repented. That's it. So in response, I mean, the people of Nineveh believed God. That's what the Scripture teaches. But was it Jonah's words or was it Jonah himself? I think there's some missing words. I don't think we have the whole story. I think they saw, okay, this is the guy that a fish swallowed? I think Jonah told his testimony. I says, look at you guys. I didn't want to come here and I didn't want to preach, but this is what God did. And Jonah told, I think Jonah told his story. And so it's Jonah that is the sign. And what is the sign in Jonah that Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and then he was resurrected or brought back to life. He was in the, in the depths of the ocean inside this fish and then God brought him back. Right? That's as Jonah was the sign, Jesus is the sign. That's what Jesus was telling them. Jesus' point um, the queen of Sheba and the Ninevites will judge this generation because they believe the servants of God with less evidence. You refuse to believe the son. And so in this exchange, Jesus tells them twice that someone greater is here. That, someone is that someone is identified in verse 30 as the son of man. Verse 30, for Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. Now, the Son of Man comes from the Old Testament, and which meant, which was referring, was referencing the Messiah. And so they knew what the Son of Man meant, which, and again, was another name for the Messiah. Jesus was telling them very clearly that he was the Messiah. And they refused to hear that. They refused to believe him. That's the context. Immediately before Jesus tells the story, and, and as Jesus was talking about lamps and light, one of the Pharisees invited him for lunch after, and so uh, that, that's really not part of the story. Jesus gladly accepted. Of course, the host found something else to judge Jesus on. How could Jesus be the Messiah if he doesn't keep all our rules, right? And so it continues that they continue... Um, giving Jesus a hard time uh, telling him that he can't be the Messiah. And so with the immediate context and what happens before, let's look at Jesus' story then. This is beholding light. And so Jesus says, no one when he has lit a lamp put it in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand that those who come in may see the light. Do you see what Jesus is telling his listeners? He's telling them that I'm the light. And I'm not going to hide. I'm not going to hide it. Un I'm not going to hide under a basket. 
I'm not going to hide it in a secret place. I'm out here in the open. I'm not hiding. I'm the greater one, and I'm here. I'm the Messiah, and you need to believe me. And why would I hide that? Why would I hide the fact that I'm the Messiah? And so I think that verse 33, Jesus is talking about himself. No one, when he has lit a lamp, Jesus has lit it up. He, he's come. The light of the world has come. And he's not hiding. My, uh, my version of the command, uh, again, is lighted up. The enemy is thrown into disarray as the bridge they are intending to use is blown to smithereens. And that's what the military says. Light it up! <laughs> and, and there it goes. And then the enemy is just like, they're all confused and they don't know what to do and they're running all over the place. That's my version. You can't help but see that moment in time. I've imagined it, you know, light it up. Boom, Jesus is here, the light of the world. The darkness cannot comprehend it. The darkness cannot overtake it. The darkness is high. They're in the shadows. They're just confusion. There are two places that Jesus mentions specifically where the lit lamp doesn't belong. In a secret place, when we were kids, yeah, I had an imagination when I was a, when I was a kid. When we were kids, I remember um, my, my brother and I organized a secret club. And I, there was a, this little design with a couple of letters in there with a little V and 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 yeah we were yeah, we wouldn't it was a secret club nobody knew about it and we had secret cards that we would carry around with us I still have the cards today I, I could have brought it as an illustration I guess but you know what I have no idea what it what the emblem meant and the letters meant. I, I've completely forgotten. I have, I'm sure it was brilliant at the time, but I have no idea what this secret club was all about. It was so secret that I can't remember. Jesus did not light it up so that he could invite only those that were worthy to be in his secret club. He did not do that. It's not a secret place. It's not for a select few or those who live on the right side of the track. Jesus lit it up for everyone to see and to invite everyone into his presence. It's not just for a secret few. The second thing he says that, he, it, that when you light it up, you don't hide it under a basket. In other words, you don't light it you don't put it where it's going to be, where you're going to have difficulty seeing, using it, right? Under a basket, the oxygen would be burned, um, burned up, and maybe it would be so thin that the lamp would have trouble staying lit. It wouldn't burn brightly if it burned at all. It's not like a treasure map with hints and booby traps. X marks the spot. Good luck. You don't have to solve a series of puzzles or navigate a structure of mazes and caves to find it. Jesus said, I'm right here and I'm in the open and you're invited. You're invited to the light. 
It's not exclusive for a select few, and it's not difficult to find based on intellect. Father God said it's time to light it up, and that's exactly what Jesus did. The light was for everyone. I love how Matthew quotes Isaiah to explain why Jesus started his ministry in Capernaum. Matthew explains that Capernaum is in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and the shadow of death, light has dawned. Jesus is the light, and Jesus was based in Capernaum. Jesus is the light of the world, and that light will not be diminished. Now, in the next three verses, Jesus makes a comparison between the human eye and the lamp. But as we will learn, it means uh, way more than what we just see with our eyes, right? Uh, some of you heard um, sung this Sunday school song, right? Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Remember that one? Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love, so be careful, little eyes, what you see. There are also verses for little hands, what you do, little feet, where you go, little tongue, what you say, little mind, what you think, and little heart, who you trust. If your eye is good, other translations use if your eye is single or healthy or unclouded or sound or simple or clear. I think the Amplified Version gets it right when it expands verse 34 to say, the eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is clear, spiritually pers uh, perceptive, spiritually perceptive, focused on God, your whole body also will be full of light, benefiting from God's precepts. But when it is bad, spiritually blind, your body also is full of darkness, devoid of God's word. A long time ago in a land far, far away, I was the bus driver for a bus chartered to take the Yorkton Terriers. This is um, AAA Bantams. Well, I, I, now they're called U13, under-13s, right? Or peewees. They were peewees. The peewees, I, I think peewee hockey or under-13s, th 11 to 13, it's when they can hit, right? When they can do a body check okay, in hockey. At least it was then. I think it's still that way. They were going to play the Swift Current Broncos peewee team in a playoff game. And so, of course, I stayed and watched the game. I was really interested. It was a close game, but eventually they lost, and they didn't have to. They didn't have to lose. I, I, I felt that um, after the game, I'm, I, I kind of figured out, because all the way, what I noticed is that the, the um, Terriers, the, the Yorkton team, they were only interested in hitting the other team. That's all. They wanted to do the biggest hits. They wanted to smack them. They, they often left the puck out of play, and they just wanted to do a big hit. 
And you know why? And this is what I figured, is because that's what they were taking in the whole time they were traveling to Swift Current from Yorkton. All they did was watch Rock'em Sock'em Hockey, the, the, the plays, the biggest hits from Non Cherry's series. Uh, and, and they were watching that the whole time. You know what? I don't think they were watching it when they went back. I think it was pretty quiet on the bus. But what does that tell me? It's what they were feeding on. It's, they, were, they, they disregarded their training and they were feeding on rock em, sock em, let's hit them hard. And that's what they became. And that's what they displayed. There's a saying that goes, what you consume consumes you. Or you become what you consume. For example, many of you know that in the last couple of months I've consumed a lot less sugar. And so, um, and that's on purpose even. And there's no negative results, I'm happy to report. Well, maybe negative for the red apple because their candy supply isn't as fresh as it was before, right? But you are what you consume. consume. And, and, and for me, it's positive. But do you need to make changes in your life as to what you're consuming? Do you find your language getting rough? Do you find your ne attitude negative, your disposition, your disposition sour or angry? Do you find yourself drifting away from God who desires the very best for you? Do you find it easy to compromise in areas where you were solid before? Is there any help? Greg Bell says, you must refuse to take a casual approach to what you consume. There are billions of bits of information available, all fighting for your attention. Fortunately, you can only pay attention to a small fraction of data at a time, which makes the information you do pay attention to that much more critical. What you focus on will have an enormous impact on your mindset, attitude, perspective, and how you see the world. Greg Bell is right. It isn't an easy road, but it is the right road. We need to pay attention to what we're consuming. Now, embracing the light. One of the saddest and condemning uh, verses in the Bible is found in John 3, 19. And this is the verdict. The light has come into the world. That's Jesus. But men love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. You don't want to be counted as those who love the darkness rather than light. We want to agree with Paul who said to the Thessalonians, For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we awake or asleep, we might live for him, with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. 
That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 5 to 11. So how do we keep this light shining brightly? If you've embraced the light, okay, how do we keep it shining brightly, right? And I'm going to suggest four things. First of all, love the light. Love it. Love the light. There was a time when I loved everything about paintball. <laughs> everything. I mean, I was really into paintball. I loved it so much that I collected enough equipment to, to, to equip about 20 guys. And we would go out and we would play. And we would shoot paint at each other from a distance and sometimes from close up. Um, I would buy, I would bid, I would modify, I would repair, I would imagine new games to play. They, the locals in our town would see us all come together in my front yard in our camel outfits and with, with our paintball guns and, and, and our gear, and they would make jokes about Pastor Doug is the head of the Christian militia. Paintball consumed me. I loved it. I couldn't get enough of it. Could we love Jesus that much? Could we love Jesus so much that Jesus consumes us? That when people see us in our front yard, they're saying, hey, there is a follower of Jesus because I have seen them with their gear. There's a follower of Jesus. Can we love Jesus that much? Well, the second thing is to expose the dark. Now, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them, Paul says in Ephesians 5.11. How do you expose what's dark? Well, go back to point number one. Love the light. When light comes into your life, it exposes the dark, right? And, and, and so you shine the light of God's word on it, examine whatever it is, and judge it according to Scripture. That's how you expose the dark. Determine what is good and helpful and what is wrong and detrimental in your walk. And then, and then do it. And then follow through. Love the light. Expose the dark. Number three, persist in prayer. Here's a traditional Scottish prayer. From ghoulies and ghosties and long-legged beasties and things that go bump in the night. Good Lord, deliver us. We are in a spiritual battle. Darkness wants to overtake us. But we have the light. And it is a battle. It, you must be aware that you are in a spiritual battle. The enemy of our souls will not let up. If he can't have you, his desire is to make you live an ineffective life where your light is under a basket and where it doesn't shine very much. Right? You know, I just said I haven't seen you in a long time to somebody that I met recently. I haven't seen you for a long time. Wouldn't you just cringe for God to say that to you? 
hey, Pastor Doug, I haven't seen you for a long time. And the person that said that to me, I haven't, or he said that to me, you know, I haven't seen you for a long time. He lives right in town. And there's no reason why I can't call him or, or contact him or take and go for a coffee. There's no reason, right? And there's no reason for us to be, to, to be not praying, to be down on our knees and, and, and talking to the Lord regularly. There's no excuse. Don't let God say that to you. Oh, you know, I haven't seen you for a long time. Persistence in prayer. And number four, this one is really important. All of these are important. But this one, seek out disciples. See, uh, the early church testimony was that they loved one another deeply. That means that you take seriously the believing community that you're part of. Think of the community of Jesus' disciples. There was a larger group. That means there were, So when they felt they needed to replace Judas, what was it decided? That those that were with them from the very beginning... And so there were 12 from the very beginning, but there were more than 12. There were others that were, that were with Jesus right from the very beginning that stayed with him and walked with him and were there with him. And so there's a greater number. Maybe, m- maybe, there, was, maybe there was 50 of them altogether that just traveled around with Jesus, that wanted to be with Jesus. They, and, and so seek out disciples. But after... Th- that larger group, then there was a smaller group of 12. That was Jesus' disciples, the ones that he chose personally to be a witness and a testimony. And then even in the 12, there were three. There was, uh, there was John and James and Peter, the three that were Jesus' closest disciples and, but all three of these are critically important. We have a community where we, there are Christians in our community. Hang out with them. Be encouraged with them. Speak into their lives as they speak into your lives. And then there's a smaller group, maybe our church. Hang out with us. Hang out with one another. And then even in the church, there's a smaller group that maybe get together, that, that you have a, a smaller group that you can pray with and you can discuss things with that you can't discuss in the larger group, right? Take advantage of those things. All three things are critically important. Christina Fox tells of visiting Alaska and she was preparing to go on a hike. And she was asking her friend that lives in Alaska, she says, oh, what about the bears? And her friend said, a woman running alone was attacked last week. She got between her mother and her cub. We are safer when we're together. We're safer when we're together. Love the light. Expose the darkness, especially in yourself, because there is darkness in there. Persist in prayer and seek out disciples. That's accountability. Can I say it? Three words. Light it up! <laughs> Light it up. You do those, you, you pay attention to those four things and you'll light it up. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word for us today. 
And thank you for the light. Thank you that Jesus is the light and that when we have Jesus, the darkness is dispelled. And Father, work in us uh, and through us by your Holy Spirit. Help us to expose that darkness and get it away. Help us to live uh, clean and, and, and righteous lives, living in the light, walking in the light. And we give you praise for what you will do in Jesus' name. Amen. And may your day be blessed by moments of quietness, light in your darkness, strength in your weakness, grace in your meekness, joy in your gladness, peace in your stillness. May your day be blessed. Amen.